afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Dark Delight Podcast with Beans. Frank will be joining us back here again on Friday, but today I have a very special guest um, who's got a story that I think everybody out there really is going to um, embrace. It is a triumph at the end of the day, but the struggle to get there was not easy at all. Um, I'd love to introduce to you guys Amy Nelson. Amy, thanks for joining the show. Thanks so much for having me, Tracy. I am glad that you're here. I'm not even going to do very much talking other than to probably interrupt you to ask some questions because you have done an absolutely fantastic job of telling the world about this. I asked you to write something for us, which you probably just didn't get to because (laughs) life, (laughs) But, but give everyone a background on you. And you guys had to end up taking on Amazon, who was working in tandem with the federal government to destroy your family, for lack of a better word. What happened? How did it start? Tell us all. Yeah. So um, I guess I'll start at the beginning. But so if you go back to, um, you know, February of 2020, my husband and I lived in Seattle where we had been for eight years. We had four little girls who at the time were five, three, two, and seven or eight months old. So just little babies. Um, I was an entrepreneur. I had been a litigator for a decade and then left to start my own company, The Riveter, which we built co-working spaces and content and education for women who were building businesses or pivoting or just making money. I care deeply about women making money. Um, <laughs> and <too>. so <laughs> it's a thing. Um, and so, uh, you know, life was very busy. It was good. We were working really hard. And my husband had worked at Amazon Web Services for eight years. AWS is a subsidiary of Amazon and it is where the internet lives. You know, it's hard to think about it, but the internet does not actually live in a cloud. It lives in these really big warehouses called data centers. And Amazon sells space in those data centers. It's this just ancillary business, and it's actually the company's cash cow. They make more money selling internet space than they do selling things to us online, which I think very few people know. My husband started at AWS when it was a tiny company, like 6,000 people, and it scaled to billions in revenue while he was there. And while he was there, he worked on real estate. So he worked on helping Amazon source land to either buy and build their own data centers or to work with developers who were going to build data centers that Amazon leased. He was a mid-level guy, level set. He's brilliant, but Amazon perhaps did not recognize that enough. And so he's like a mid-level guy, level, which is a level seven. If you know Amazon, they go from like level one or two to 13. Jeff was a 13. Um, and he worked there for eight years. And then he put together his own company. Um, to go do real estate development himself. And, you know, Amazon doesn't sell real estate development, so he didn't think it was even competitive to anything Amazon was doing. Um, He hoped actually to serve Amazon. Um, And his employment contract is this 10-page document that allowed him, while he worked at Amazon, to start a company and seek investment or work with people working with Amazon because Amazon's so big. They kind of allow all these intricacies. So he thought no problem with it, had a lawyer, had investors, all of the things, left Amazon, started his company and was in fact pitching deals to Amazon. He was having wild success as a developer because he'd worked on more data centers than almost anyone in the world. And it's kind of the gold rush time for data centers. So So basically he said, I could do better by myself. Yeah, he's like, he, he learned an incredible expertise, but he, you know, he went, he's an entrepreneur at heart like I am. And he wanted to go out and, and build rather than be internal at Amazon you know, kind of part of like a corporate hierarchy and, and all the things. And there's no um, like NDA in the contract that says you can't do any of this stuff. Like you can't, because they're so big that that would basically yeah. preclude you from ever doing anything. Well, actually it's really the opposite, which is interesting at Amazon because 
his employment contract explicitly allowed him to do these things while he worked at Amazon and after. The contract was not silent. It was like, you can start a company. You can, it said he could work with real estate developers working with Amazon so long as his arrangement with the developer wasn't, quote, substantially similar to Amazon's. Amazon is like an occupier of real estate. My husband's developing real estate, right? Like different things. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's like, it was all very clear to me as a lawyer that this was totally fine and, and great. So he left Amazon in June of 2019, was working really hard. We're really just kind of on top of the world. And then the pandemic hit, which kind of threw my business for a loop because we made our revenue from like, how many people can you fit in a building at once? <laughs> like That was my <laughs> business model. So really, I mean, just like decimated my business starting from mid-March and then of 2020. And then on April 2nd, 2020, the FBI knocked on our door. It was 6.45 a.m. I had a baby on my hip. And uh, I went to the door and there were two people there. And I thought like, they looked official. And I was like, maybe there's some like public health crisis. Is this like outbreak? What's happening? You know, my, my immediate thoughts. And I kind of shrugged at them because I had a glass door. Like, what? why are you here basically? And they flashed uh, FBI badges. Um, and I opened the door and they said, you know, we'd like to speak to your husband, Carlton Nelson. And I yelled for him and he came out. And I looked at him, which I think a lot of people wouldn't do, but I think this is a piece of advice whenever I tell this story that is so important. I looked at my husband and said, you cannot speak to these people without a lawyer. And, you know, you could be the most like non-objectionable person in the world, never broken a rule, never gone too fast at a stop sign. Just don't talk to the FBI without a lawyer ever or the police. Just, and it's just your right not to, even if they yeah. make you feel like you're a criminal for saying yeah. that you will not speak to them. Which they will. They will make you feel like a criminal if you don't talk to them, but you shouldn't and you're not a criminal. So, you know, <laughs> anyway, um, my husband did talk to them for a minute um, and they let him know he was the target of a federal investigation in the Eastern District of Virginia. So we're in Seattle. He gets this letter telling him he's the target of a federal investigation on the other side of the country. And then it was a second letter and it, the letter said it was related to some real estate deals with Amazon. And then there's a second letter that said, we intend to seize these bank accounts and listed out a few bank accounts. And I was like, wait, seize, seize? What are they talking about? You know, first of all, like the, the shock of like, there's a criminal investigation. And I was a civil litigator. So I, I was out of my depth immediately. Um, and this letter that they were gonna seize his bank accounts. And I'm like, what in the hell is happening? And I think at the time my husband thought, I don't know what's going on, but like, I'll just call Amazon and sort it out. Yeah. And I was like, no, I think this is like pretty far down a road that like, it's going to be pretty hard to get off. Right. Like FBI agents tell us there's an investigation on the other side of the country and they're going to take our money. I started making some phone calls and got on Google and learned like, I mean, the scariest thing I learned right off the bat is if you're the target of a federal investigation, the internet will tell you, you are being charged with a federal crime in the next 30 to 60 days. The government believes you have committed a crime and they're they're going when you're the target of a federal investigation sometimes the government tells you sometimes they don't um, they could just indict you but here they told my husband and i now know understand why they did that but um and then the second thing i learned about was civil forfeiture and i didn't know what civil forfeiture was um so in america the local state and federal governments can seize your assets they can seize your bank accounts your homes your cars on the suspicion that they are the proceeds of a crime. The government does not have to charge you with a crime, let alone prove a crime. They can just, just take your stuff. 
they take your stuff. And then you have to hire lawyers to try to fight to get it back. Yep. And that to me was like just absolutely terrifying. So and it's been a you saw this whole this whole safety deposit box SCOTUS case. Yes. Yes, I did. So it's um so Tracy's talking about is there was a case out of California where there was a company called Private Vault. And for a long time, federal authorities thought that pri- the owners of Private Vault were laundering money, like for people selling drugs, et cetera. And so they got a warrant to go seize the assets of Private Vault, like go seize the safe deposit boxes. And the FBI went in and took all of the safe deposit boxes, including everyone who paid money to the company to store their life savings, their important documents, their gold, like just took it all. And then was like, nope, we're not giving it back. Like including from people they had no thoughts were committing crimes. And then those people had to fight to get it back. And the government played, can I curse on this, Tracy? Yes. Okay. The government played so many bullshit cards through this whole thing. It's infuriating. And I think like, Back up one second, I have spent my whole life, not just as a progressive, but as a very deep believer in the system and the system working. Um, like I was a fundraiser for Obama and like, you know, and I did a get out the vote, all, all of these things. And this has been an education over the past four years of just breaking down everything I understood to be true. We're not crazy, see? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not at all. And like, listen, I would say like, I still have a ton of progressive ideals, but I don't believe in the party. And in fact, I don't really believe, like, I just kind of think like the whole thing is about money, who has money, who has power, and that everyone with power will abuse it, including the government, which has unlimited power. And- um, So they take you know, all so, your sh- all your money, all everything. I, yeah, but like the thing about private vault that I thought was wild was like, so the people who had their stuff taken, they sue the government for return of property. They lose, which is crazy, but also like not crazy because guess what? Like 90% of federal judges are former federal prosecutors mm-hmm. who chose to work in a system to use unlimited power and believe in it. Um, and so, but then the, those plaintiffs appeal up to the Ninth Circuit. I'm going to assume your audience understands all of this because they're very smart. And um, and while the appeal is up, the, the DOJ is like, we're going to lose this. And then they're like, here's all your stuff back. Like, I just give, because they, they like, because they just don't want to lose. It wasn't that important in the first place. That's why it no. always kills me when people settle important yeah. lawsuits, because yeah. there's no chance for precedent. It's just yeah. wiped away. Right, right. And so, and so anyway, but like, but you know what, the plaintiffs fought on, they got a ruling. It's really important. And I deeply believe civil forfeiture should be abolished. And I really want to make that happen. So we get this letter back in 2020, husband hires a lawyer. And the first thing his lawyer does is call Amazon and say, you know, Carl Nelson would love to come talk to you. Like, we don't understand what's going on. And Amazon's lawyers, who were led by Gibson Dunn, Patrick Stokes, a former federal prosecutor, was like, Amazon will not talk to him unless he's pleading guilty. To what? You haven't even been charged yet. To wire wire fraud, whatever they were accusing him of. Which wire fraud's like anything, basically. So, um, I mean, and then I was like, holy shit. Like, I don't, like, we're in the dark here. We don't know what's going on. You don't even know why at that point. No, it took, like, months to even figure out what the hell they said was a crime. And from the very, and so basically they said that my husband starting a company and working on real estate deals was a fraud, right? And that he, they said that, like, he had somehow gotten paid a kickback for selling land to Amazon when he didn't work at Amazon. Like, he was steering deals within Amazon when he didn't work at Amazon, the whole thing is like just wild 
Like, it makes no sense. Why did they hate him so much? It wasn't about hating my husband. This took years to unwind. But what we figured out, because we fought, because we withstood all this pressure, because we had the resources to do it, is that in, um, in early February of 2020, a fund called IPI, which is Iron Point Iconic, and Iconic is the family investment fund of Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, Reed Hoffman, Sheryl Sandberg. They had gone to Amazon and said, our business partner, Northstar, which is a real estate developer, IPI was the money, Northstar is the developer. And then they built data centers at Amazon Least. IPI went to Amazon and said, our real estate partner, Northstar, we think they're paying kickbacks to your former employee. Amazon, according to IPI in court filings, hit the ceiling and just immediately acted. And they said, well, you have to kick Northstar out of your business partnership with them. Amazon is leasing these data centers from IPI and Northstar. They're just a tenant. And apparently they told one of the owners, you have to kick the other owner out of it, their ownership state. Why? Because this doesn't make sense to me. This seems- Well, it's just like Amazon, from what I understand from digging into the company over these years, like they're bullies. And when you have that many chips, when you're the big stack bully, when you control it all, you're like, nobody can beat me. I will just bully people and do what I want. And they react forcefully and quickly and they don't think things through. And so they told IPI they had to kick out Northstar, but here's the kicker. The only way that IPI could kick Northstar out of its ownership stake of these half a billion dollar contracts is if the CEO of Northstar, Brian Watson, commits a material fraud that damages the data centers. Dam data centers weren't damaged. Oh. Or, or Brian Watson pleads guilty or is convicted of a felony. If you want to know how stupid this whole thing, like stupidly this whole thing played out, and how much, how certain Amazon and IPI were that they would just get away with it. They broke the contract in secret with Northstar on February 19th, 2020. And their first meeting with federal prosecutors was February 20th, 2020. It's just like, really, guys? So, so why, so they needed the feds to convict <laughs> someone of fraud to be able to get out of this deal that they, I mean, how much money are we talking in kickbacks well, for goodness sakes? Oh, well, there were no kickbacks, first of all. Like, first, like what they called a kickback was like um, the guy who connected Amazon to Northstar for the real estate deals in commercial real estate. He earned money. That is a referral fee. That's a commission. Fee. That's like. Well, in, in commercial real estate, it's called a referral fee. It's perfectly legal. There were lawyers involved on both sides of drafting the referral fee arrangement. Like, it's a. And, like, and then that guy, many months later, went. And and he it wasn't Amazon's money anyway that the guy earned right yeah and many from... many months later that guy went and he went to my husband and another Amazon guy and was like you should build a company to compete with Northstar because like they don't even really know, like well they know what they're doing because it's commercial real estate right like they know how to build things but like you guys have all this expertise like go build your own company I'll help you fund it and then like lawyers involved in the investment agreement so lawyers it's a comp it's a competition thing they thought your husband was going to be too good. That's what I, but, well, but only, but like, I think that's true. But I also think that like they broke this contract, they acted irrationally and then they had to fix it because the contract is worth half a billion dollars. And then, so that's like massive damages. It might not seem like massive damages to Amazon or IPI, but it is because the other thing is like after everything they did, they destroyed Northstar, which is a 20 year old company with 60 employees and had like a 1.5 billion in assets under its control and it's wiped out. So the damages here are bananas, right? And so, and not only, they didn't need, I believe that Amazon and IPI did not want the DOJ to go to trial with anybody or convict anybody of a fraud. They I believe they wanted, them. 
and wanted to scare the shit out of people and apply so much pressure to the people underneath Brian Watson who could implicate Brian Watson in a crime that nobody could withstand it. Because something I learned through all this is that 98.2% of Americans who are accused of a federal crime plead guilty. We do not live in a system with jury trials. We live in a system of negotiated pleas. It's 100% true. Our never, never attack anybody who takes a plea because no, you have no idea. Yeah, you have no idea. And like, our, I, I believe, and I've talked, I've talked to so, I'm a community builder and I've talked to so many people over the past four years, some who've pled guilty, some who fought, like, you know, Bill Baroni, who got his, his conviction overturned for Bridgegate at the Supreme Court, people who pled guilty in varsity blues, you know, all sorts of things. And like, there's a reason, right? There's a reason for people who don't believe they've committed crimes plead guilty. They can threaten spouses. They take your money through civil forfeiture so you can't feed your kids, let threaten alone Threaten your fight. kids. Yeah, they threaten your kids. Like, yeah. and, and you know, there's a, there's a, they're very, I don't think I'm a remarkable person, but I'm a certain kind of person. And my husband is certainly a certain kind of person who could withstand the pressure of it. And like it, and even though we could withstand the pressure of it, it destroyed us in a lot of ways, you know, like it's nonstop stress. Oh, I mean, we, you know, Tracy, like just to give a like quick, you know, they came on April 2nd, 2020, the government gave my husband's lawyers a presentation. It's called a reverse proffer where they're like, here's all the evidence we have against you, like on April 16th. And like, there was no evidence. It was like, a, like it was like, it was ridiculous. Anyway, and then my husband's lawyers gave a presentation to the government in May. And then I guess the government did not like the presentation because right immediately, like the same day or whatnot, they actually made good on the threat to seize our assets. And not only did they seize the assets that they had identified in the letter, they seized every single one of my husband's personal and business bank accounts, all of our joint accounts. They seized my bank accounts because I had my husband, you know, and I shared money because like we have expenses and stuff. And then they went to our lawyer's client trust account and seized all of the money we paid the lawyers. Oh my God. And your dad, who's dad? Oh, and, and my dad. Yeah. Um, my dad was very, very sick. My dad had a kidney transplant in April of 2020 to save his life. And this part, this part's just hard. They seized his, my dad's bank accounts. My dad's not a wealthy man. And um, they seized his bank account, which was all he had in the world. And my mother, who's divorced from him, had to step in and keep him alive. That's terrible. Like, I can't even imagine. What are you going to do? You can't pay your lawyers anymore. That's the, that's the, that's the, the vice grip they put on you to get you to submit. Yeah. And fortunately, um, the day that, like the day my husband and I are kind of like, we're very resourceful in this way. And we're like, how we like try, kept trying to stay alive. And so like the day on April 2nd, when the FBI came, I was like, we were both still working. You know, he was consulting, I was working. And so I was like, we're opening new bank accounts, each of us separately and all future earnings go in the new bank account because the letter said nothing about future earnings. Right. So it was like, so from that moment on, we had future, like we had a little bit of money. We, we both are professionals and you know, I was a CEO and he, was doing very well as a consultant. So like we were able to pile up a little bit of money that way until he lost all of his consulting work by August, you know, and then that was gone. Um, and then we started selling things. We sold our car, we liquidated retirement. Um, eventually we sold our home. Cause we were like, when I think back at him, like, God, we were like committed, but it's like, what is your choice? Yeah, There's you know, you, you know, you're not doing, you didn't do anything and you're yeah. not just and gonna roll over. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really important because a lot of people are like, well, the you know, your lawyers are telling you not to speak, et cetera. 
Here, the facts of what happened were never in dispute. Amazon said it was a federal crime, and my husband said he never violated his employment contract and his post-employment terms. So it's like we were, I was like, I'm not afraid to say anything because like we all know exactly what happened, yeah, right? It's so in it's black like, and white. It's right. literally. Yeah, which is very powerful. And my husband had a lawyer who had overseen everything. And so like they went after my husband's lawyer, who was like in his late 50s. I'm like, you're a criminal. Like apropos of what? Because you say so. Like he didn't make any extra money. He like just decided in his late fifties, I'm going to start criming. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> so um, anyway, we you know we fought, and the government didn't just seize money from us. So as I said, I think they wanted to go after everybody who they thought could implicate Brian Watson in a crime. They seized over seven million dollars from investors, businesses, and families. Uh, they took a home. I know they took a home. Um, and some, and we didn't know this then, but some people were like, "Fine, we give." Right? And there were four people who of the like, I think 10 people they went after, four people were like, fine, we'll plead guilty. We didn't know that at the time. And like, spoiler alert, we get to the end, the DOJ had to unwind all of those plea agreements, which I think is unprecedented in American history. It is. I know that, because I don't know what you thought about General Flynn in April of 2020, but. Listen, I thought they applied an insane amount of pressure to him to plead guilty. I think it was wrong. They threatened his child. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And I understand why he did it. And I also believe that it was wrong. Like, I'm not. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, going through this experience, they unwound his. And and that was that was the the Trump Justice Department that did that. This is the Biden administration's Justice Department who shows literally zero inclination to rewind anything against anyone ever. So that's why that makes this. Well, and and. The thing that is really interesting is that there's a woman named Jamie Gorelick who was on Amazon's board of directors who was Merrick Garland's mentor. Oh. So this is like an Amazon threw a tantrum when the plea agreements were unwound. I mean. Well, they needed those. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I really don't know what their plan is at this point. Um, So anyway, um, yeah. I mean, it was just like, we just fought. But the thing that happened in the middle of it is that after Amazon, and at the time we also... For, for like a year and a half, we didn't know that it was Amazon that had gone to the DOJ and started this. We didn't know about the agreement between IPI and Northstar. We knew nothing. So we're like in the dark, like what is happening? Why is this happening? I don't understand anything because also like all of the real estate that's at issue, Amazon kept it all. <laughs> like they kept it and they built data centers and they're making billions of dollars. So like they, they did everything it. that they were going to do anyway. Yeah, they kept all, they kept it all and they're making tons of money. So you're like, what is going on? Why are they doing this? Um, and then after they knew that the Department of Justice had seized our money, and we now know that they knew everything because eventually in the civil discovery, we were given the communication between Amazon and the DOJ, and Amazon and the DOJ met hundreds of times. And if you don't understand how DOJ investigations work, I have sought to understand and talk to tons of former federal prosecutors and and defense attorneys. Um, usually, if you accuse someone of a crime, you might get a meeting with the DOJ if they think you're important enough. And then that's probably it. And the DOJ goes off and investigates. Yeah, so they it's, might not, subpoenas. it's not supposed to be a corporate, a corporate DOJ partnership to go after someone in a criminal case. I mean, I would say in many ways, that Patrick Stokes, my opinion is that Patrick Stokes, Gibson Dunn's attorney, ran the investigation for DOJ, told them who to subpoena, told them what to subpoena. D- Amazon certainly only gave DOJ whatever the hell it wanted to give DOJ. Like, for example... We told DOJ from the very beginning, my husband did not even violate his employment contract. 
The DOJ did not ask Amazon for my husband's employment contract and Amazon did not give it to them. So they have nothing, basically. They made this up. No, and I have a very big question that I cannot wait to unwind and answer because there are affidavits that were used to see $7 million. Who right? who signed those and what did they say? Not only who signed, what did they say? Because you have to have probable cause. And the, the specific crime my husband was alleged to have committed was called private sector honest services fraud. That is violating your duties to your private sector employer. What did they say my husband's employment duties were? Well, not because only that, but they never charged him, did they? They never charged my husband. Nope, never charged him. But I mean, but we, they told us they were going to forever. And oh. the, one of the biggest, one of the hardest things for me to live with was from May of 2020 through when we left Seattle in November of 2020, my husband's lawyers kept saying to DOJ, because DOJ is like, we're charging him. Like there was no question, right? It was a matter of when. And they kept, and the grand juries weren't meeting for a while because of COVID. So like there was a, you know, a lull and the DOJ kept saying to my husband's lawyers, my husband's lawyers were like, we'll come, he can come in and self-surrender when you charge him. Mm. And they were like, no, we will show up at his house before dawn some morning and arrest him in front of his four children. And like that to me, like that to me was the point, like when they took our money and like they did offer some money back if my husband were to plead guilty, like my children being able to eat was a negotiating point for the government. And then the fact that they were going to come and raid my home. This is I how was we, like, this is how you you met Steve and Kyle and, and that's how I met Steve and Kyle. And that was like, and I will say, as I was, I was thinking, I was telling Steve this the other day. It was like it is never lost on me that for all these years that no one would listen to me, no one would believe me. Like Steve and Kyle and Garrett, these former FBI agents were like, absolutely, we get it, and they knew the FBI agent running the investigation, and they were like, yep, it's you know, and it's just like that's. I was just like, this is. Why is my own country trying to kill me? You okay? Right? Like it's that's how it felt. <laughs> yeah. And and kill my kids. And so anyway, what we would do, I'm just like a problem solver. I'm like, how do you just survive this one hour, one day at a time? So I started getting our kids up at five in the morning, five, five thirty, and we would drive them to parks all over Puget Sound and have breakfast at the park and play for hours. And I put our baby monitor in the window of our house looking at the street and it was attached to my iPhone. Connected to my iPhone and when we would come back, I would connect it when we were like a street away, park a street away and connect it and I'd see if the FBI was there. That's terrible. Okay, you made some amazing memories with your girls, with your- with We your did, kids. actually. I mean, that is like, I know, jump at that because like you get it as a mom. Like there are those moments I will never forget. You know, like the, like I was in a lot of pain but to my kids, it was all a big adventure. And eventually when we had to sell our house to pay lawyers, we went and lived with my sister and her kids and husband in California for a while. And then we went and lived with my husband's family in Honolulu um, because that's where my husband's dad and stepmom lived and we were living with family. And, but that was also like this amazing, like we, we spent a year during COVID in Honolulu with our kids, cut off from the world. And I felt a whole lot safer there. Not like the FBI is in Hawaii, but you know, we were in like an apartment building high up, which made me feel safe. And yeah, you could get some sleep and a breath of fresh air at least. Mm -hmm. And then we didn't have a car. And so it was just, we were just together in a way that we'd never been before in the world. And that felt really amazing. Um, and then eventually though, I had to get a different job because I needed to make more money. And so I got hired as a VP at a public tech company doing remote work and then they fired me on the fifth day because they read an article about my husband i was just gonna say how did you manage that like with all oh there wasn't really so 
for the first year, there like wasn't really press about this. It's very interesting. And I don't think Amazon would have liked any press about it. They wanted it to be very quiet. Um, but then once I got fired from that job, that's when my life changed because I was like, you know what? No matter what I do, I am part of this. And so screw it. I am defending my husband publicly. And I'm just going to use whatever platform I have because this isn't right. I believe in justice in the world. And the only way we're going to get it is if we start screaming. And so I started talking about it on social media. Eventually, I started at TikTok. At this point, also, Amazon was suing my husband after they knew our, our assets were seized. Then they sued my husband, which is like the height of cruelty. Like, let's make sure he has no money, then we'll sue him. And so we're fighting this civil lawsuit, which ended up being a godsend because we were able to unravel what they did with the DOJ. So because they sued you civilly, which you were an aficionado in, you were able to discover through the process yeah. what they actually had done with DOJ. Yes. And it's like in this, in the, if I will tell all of you this listening, never sue anybody unless you absolutely have to. Because when you decide to sue someone, you have to play out all the scenarios. What's your plan A? What's your plan B? What's your plan C? Amazon played out no scenario. They were, I feel like there's this line they, in the curse. There's, they thought you were. Like, yeah. There's this line in Yellowstone where like um, the Dutton, John Dutton's asking like um, Rip, like, have you figured out how to do it? And Rip was like, well, the best we can figure out is like, fuck it. And I'm like, I feel like that's what Amazon did. They were like, whatever. Like, we're just like, we'll, build, we'll bully them. Well, they just this. expected you would run out of money or or yeah. fold or settle or something. Yeah. And I will tell you something I've never told anyone. But when this started, Amazon like filed their lawsuit secretly under seal, which how you file a civil lawsuit under seal, I will never understand. Um, and they got, they drew a judge called Liam, named Liam O'Grady in the Eastern District of Virginia, former federal prosecutor, like... Throw the, he was the, the the judge over like Kim.com, the biggest copyright case in the yeah. history. Okay. Anyway, and he was like, I mean, he was like not giving an inch to anybody and just believed anything Amazon said. Like he let Amazon impose a $21.5 million injunction on Brian Watson without any evidence. So did you become friends with Brian Watson through this process? <laughs> I've gotten to know Brian Watson. But, um, <laughs> but the crazy thing is, is that like I read this article in January of, or sorry, I read this article in like September of 2021. Wall Street Journal did this big investigative report on judicial conflicts of interest. I'm reading it and I'm like, this is really interesting. So I click on the source data, always look at the source data, go to this database, which has all of the judicial financial disclosures. I go to Liam O'Grady and they only had data up through 2018. And through 2018, he owned tens of thousands of dollars of Amazon stock. Ah, oh, there's no- Never should have had the case. No conflict of interest there. So I, so I, and like, this is being resourceful to everybody. I like go on Twitter and DM the journalist that I, and I was like, Hey, I read this. Like, will you talk to me? I want to tell you something. Talk to the journalist, the wall street journal journalist. He calls the judge's chamber and the judge is like, yep, I own Amazon stock and I should have recused. Oops. But then he doesn't recuse. He's like, he tells us, he's like, I'm not recusing. The case was not yet in discovery. Why the hell did he care what case he had? Mm-hmm. And then, then, the Wall Street Journal publishes a scathing front page report on it. Then he recused, like after it became public. I mean, the power of the press is so important. It is so important that we have a free press. And um, I'm surprised they it, did it. Oh well, and, well, and, you know, it was a, it was a, um, and um, and so then we got a different judge. We got a Virginia State Court judge who was a Trump appointee, who was an incredibly brilliant man, 
who had not been a former federal prosecutor, who understood state law and Amazon's civil lawsuit was largely based on Virginia state law. And like, I, I think, I mean, he ultimately dismissed six of the seven claims against my husband before trial, saying there was no racketeering, no fraud, and that my husband indeed had not breached his employment contract. Well, he's he the one, I, you had shared an opinion that he wrote where he basically blasted Amazon mm -hmm. saying, did you not even read your own contract? Yep. yep. Am I, am I correct on they, that? Yeah, which of course they didn't, right? As he said, and he and he also said he was he seemed livid in his opinion because Amazon kept amending their complaint. To, I think push off trial because they didn't want a trial. They wanted the DOJ to take care of this for them. And they, he said in his opinion, like you've amended your complaint four times, six months as, as recently as six months ago. You said you bought a piece of land that was inflated by seventeen million dollars, and your expert will not say it was inflated by a dollar. The expert you hired. Yeah. And he goes, and I think you did it on purpose because the evidence actually shows you underpaid. Yeah, yeah. And and the judge could have stopped them from continuing to amend their complaint. I mean, after th after two. Well, it's interesting because it was the magistrate judge that allowed them to oh, Okay. And she, I mean, there are transcripts, I will just say. The magistrate judge ended up retiring in the fall of 2020. Like all of these things, right? But the magistrate judge who had worked as a magistrate judge when Pat Stokes was a federal prosecutor. And I'm not, you know, I'm not like, I'm not saying she's a biased person, but I'm saying I believe that we listen to authority and relationships matter. And I think that is a natural human instinct, right? And I think that we should all question it if we're in positions of power. But of course, like, if I've known someone, I'm going to believe them over yeah. anybody else. But you can read in transcripts, this judge said, like, well, it's pretty clear there was a fraud here. Or why would How? Amazon, why would Amazon have evidence of these defendants fraud? And I'm like, or like, it's like, wait, what like you're just like wait what which a judge yeah. isn't supposed to do anyway yeah. like you haven't even gotten to yeah but those and, are those and at are, that yeah. point wasn't one of the wasn't the fraud aspect of this not even in the case anymore no this was before oh, the okay. Summary okay. so she isn't yeah so but you know and then like all these other th like things you know like the craziest thing that happened in the washington post reported on this is that in January of 2022, right before Amazon had to turn over their communications with DOJ in the civil case, the two federal prosecutors who were running the investigation at the time, because how do you know, like nine federal prosecutors cycled through this investigation. Um, um, the federal prosecutors got all of Amazon's targets on the phone and Amazon and told Amazon's targets, including my husband, that they did not agree to an immediate stay of Amazon's civil case. The DOJ is saying if Am the defendants in a civil case Amazon filed did not stop defending themselves, they would, quote, get what they deserved and that the DOJ would find a way to charge them with witness tampering or obstruction of justice, even if they didn't charge them with any other crime. And I remember being like. Bring it on. Oh I, no, I, no, at the time, I, I remember just being like when I read about the phone call, I was like, oh, my God. Like, this isn't real. Yeah. You know, and. Fortunately, all of Amazon's targets were very brave men and they were like, nope. And they went through and that's when they found all of the emails and communications with DOJ. But a few weeks after that, going back to civil forfeiture and like, we're just paying for lawyers by having sold everything, me working, all these different things. And we raised some money, we borrowed some money. And then in February of 2022, mind you, the DOJ at this point had held our money for 22 months and we hadn't had any recourse to fight to get it back. Like there's nothing we could do. And then finally the judge in February, 2022 was like, DOJ, you're going to have to prove this now. Mm. Like show me what's that, right?
And then the DOJ just gave us the money back. <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's fun. I'm laughing because this is effing ridiculous. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's like, so it's so like, ridiculous. And like, nobody will ever, well, what did I you just people- wake up one day and there's your money or did you get a letter? How does that work? No, our lawyer. So this is the other thing. I think like if you're ever involved in a federal criminal investigation, one thing that I thought was that we needed to hire lawyers in the Eastern District of Virginia, like former federal prosecutors who understood that district because every district is different. I would advise you if you are a target of an investigation to not do that. Here's why. People who work in the district have ongoing relationships with those prosecutors. They need to have a good working relationship because a lot of times their client is maybe guilty, you know, so they need to negotiate the best deal or, you know, and their friends, their colleagues in the bar. And so maybe they're not always thinking, I'm going to go to the mat. I'm going to fight really hard, be really aggressive. And so we ultimately hired an incredible lawyer named Alex Little. He lives in Nashville. He's with Byrne Foreman. He is a former federal prosecutor. He understands the negatives of DOJ and he will fight. Yep. And he, you know, um, and a lot of times prosecutors are kind of like, or defense attorneys are like, you don't want to make the prosecutors mad. They're already really mad. And like, you know, like if you're in this situation, like they're mad. Yeah. Like they're already really mad. Right. And so Alex told the prosecutors in civil forfeiture, I think like we're going to fight like, because in civil forfeiture, if you don't charge someone with a crime and roll the forfeiture into an indictment, the prosecutors actually have to file a civil lawsuit against your money. So we were gonna have a civil lawsuit, right? And we were like, we're gonna fight, we're gonna get discovery. And we were gonna be like, give us the FBI notes or like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. give us everything. And they didn't want to do that, I imagine. And so they just gave us the money, but they did. They were like, we'll settle with you and give us a number. And my husband was like, I want all, all of it. it. All of it is literally every penny. And it was like 85 and the it was like 85% is what we got back. But I believe, and, the, and we had to promise not to sue the DOJ over the forfeiture. Well, but you like, don't have we to, just, I mean, you could just file incessant numbers of FOIA. Yeah, which I mean, but yeah. And like, I think that like, the other thing is that, you know, there, I have a strong belief that the DOJ, I'm going to say this because I believe in speaking it into the world. I have a very strong belief now that the DOJ has vacated four criminal guilty pleas as what you, the U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, Jessica Aber, said they were not in the interest of justice. I have a very strong belief that the DOJ will now return all of the funds that were kept by the DOJ in the unjust civil forfeiture actions, because that is the right thing to do. And I have to believe they'll do it. I I, I would have to believe the same for you, putting that out into the universe I would just like to say that I bet you not every single person saw, said that they wouldn't sue. That is true. There are people who didn't. And <clears throat> there are so, there are also other remedies in that there are civil causes of action against private actors for malicious prosecution. For example, in Washington State, where Amazon is headquartered, there is a civil statute for malicious prosecution where if your money is seized mm-hmm. and it was caused by someone... You can sue them. So that's why I'm really, one of the reasons I'm not saying I'm going to sue anyone, but I'm very interested in seeing the affidavits and understanding what was told to the DOJ so in order to effectuate the seizure. Four years of hell. Finally, yeah. this year, or no, it was last year. It was late last year. What the, happened? The, the, guilty, the guilty, well, I mean, so civil case was dismissed in April, almost all of it. Amazon decided not to move forward at that time with the one claim that was remaining, which is like a Virginia state law claim. And they decided to appeal up to the Fourth Circuit, their loss. Interestingly, 
Amazon appealed their loss of like racketeering and fraud, but did not appeal the loss of the breach of contract. The one thing. So Amazon's position now is, okay, fine. Carl Nelson, my husband, did not violate his employment contract with what we said he did, but we say it's fraud and racketeering. Like, what the hell? Right? Like nuts. And we have to keep spending money on this, which is so frustrating. But um, so that happened. And then this year, just on, on a random Tuesday... Or th- it was a Tuesday or Thursday. It was a or it was a Wednesday. It was January 10th. On the docket appears motions from the Department of Justice to vacate these two guilty pleas. And at the time, Tracy, I had no idea that this was like so very rare. And I'm glad I didn't because I would have then not thought it would have ever happened. And all along, I've been like, well, of course the DOJ will yeah, vacate yeah, the guilty. No, no, no. They're wrong. They're wrong. Um, and so we didn't know it from the DOJ. We saw it on the public docket. And they also said they were done with the investigation and they weren't charging anyone. Why didn't you get insur- uh, Why didn't you get attorney's fees from this judge in, in Virginia for all this crap that you went through? So, I mean, this is the stuff in Virginia isn't done yet. Um, but my husband and, you know, that could, I, I could the judge might do any number of things. There's also like this very big thing outstanding in Virginia that we found out and I found this out from the public docket. Amazon, like the main evidence that they said there was this fraud was a spreadsheet that they said came from the laptop of one of the employees they accused, not my husband. Okay. No one's ever seen the spreadsheet, whatever. Um, we found out that right before when discovery started in the civil case, Amazon accidentally liquidated the laptop <laughs> with a spreadsheet. I mean, you feel like you sit here feeling like a conspiracy theorist, right? But it's like they admit to doing it. And they say it was an accident. Like, I'm sorry, Amazon holds tens of billions of dollars of government contracts to store secrets of the NSA, the DOD, the FBI, the CIA, and they accidentally liquidated a laptop that held the evidence of their fraud. <laughs> it doesn't really track for me. I don't know if it tracks for you. But like, that's a big thing. And the judge could, sua sponte on his own, just dismiss the rest of the case because of that. He could issue sanctions of millions of dollars. So, you know, and then also my husband did sue Amazon way back when in 2020, he sued Amazon because his employment contract required Amazon to sue him in Washington state. They sued him in Virginia. So we're like, sue him for breach of contract and get the damages as the difference between what it costs to defend yourself in Seattle and Virginia, which are significant. And he won that lawsuit. Oh man. They already owe him those damages. But like, I would say in a very broad sense that my husband's lawyers and my husband are assessing all of their legal avenues going forward do you have this massive weight lifted off your shoulders now or are you just as like determined and angry as you were I know you've I'm gone just... I can see it in your tweets but like are you at least vindicated oh yeah I feel very vindicated on the like I mean so I started this TikTok in a year ago 12, 13 months ago I'd never been on TikTok but I was like I think this story is easier to talk about than write and so I started this TikTok. I now have 185,000 followers who tune in. <laughs> I would love for all of you to join me. It's at Amy underscore K underscore Nelson. Anyway, I bring it up because right before Amazon lost on summary judgment, they filed this massive motion calling me a conspiracy theorist in federal court, citing my TikToks. Like, she's a crazy lady. I'm not, right? And so- I and only then they hang also, out with crazy people, so- <laughs> Well, then they also sent me a letter. They sent me a letter telling me that they were going to accuse me of witness tampering if I didn't shut down my TikTok. That's- they threatened. It's like, I'm sorry, Jeff Bezos owns one of the major newspapers in America, and he thinks it's okay to pay lawyers to threaten a woman and a mom in Ohio to shut down her social media. Like, that's wrong. It's a first very, very, very violation. Wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very wrong. Like, your owner, the owner of the Washington Post does not believe in free speech. So anyway, I felt very vindicated. 
it's particularly because Judge Alston was like, no, the man did not violate his employment contract. He acted within its explicit terms. Because like no one, for so long, no one would believe me. I'm like, it's contract 101. He this just is read it. Thing. He only just took the time to read it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. attached there. Everybody can do it. I know. It's on the internet. Like it's just, yeah. you know, so I felt, I feel very vindicated, but I feel very angry. And like, you know, women in a lot of ways, sometimes people are like afraid of angry woman, women, but I'm a very angry woman right now. And I, and I just like, part of it is like, if we don't stand up, Amazon will do this over and over again. And I don't think many people have the resources to fight like this. And like, I'll also say like the faith and the love and support, you know, my husband and I were completely surrounded by our families and people who love us and a whole lot of lawyers. Cause like, I'm a lawyer, my father-in-law's a lawyer, my sister's a lawyer, my dad's ah. a lawyer. Like we're a bunch of lawyers, right? We were like, okay, like we can approach this somewhat rationally. You know, my poor mother who's like, why does the government not care that your kids are going to starve? And I have to be like, mom, the government does not care. And like, that's, that's, that's a wake up call. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we were really, anyway, I just, they cannot do this again. It's not right. Nor should a company that will do this stuff hold billions of dollars of government contracts. Like, and I just like, I look at the end of the day, like, I just want to talk to Amazon. I want to talk to Andy Jassy, the CEO of Amazon, the general counsel, David Sapolsky, because I do not understand why they are not asking what the hell did our lawyers do so that the DOJ took them. They're in on it. But it's just shocking. Like, why? Like, come on. You know, you're a good person. You're a good person, right? You're a good person. You're an honest person. We may disagree ideologically on politics, but you're still a good person. They're not. They don't care. It's I not. It's just so hard for me to wrap my head around. You it's have. Like, you have to because know, it's I just. Know. They don't care, and they never will care. These are people who sell their souls to the highest bidder, and then they just le- live in empty shells. And that's well, not who thing, you are. I know. And the one thing I know to be true is that, like, my daughters will grow up learning this story, and they will see the record online. They will see what happened, and they will see that we fought like hell for them because it was for them and for my husband because I love him, and like their children will go up, grow up and they will read the same thing. And I do not understand how any parent could be okay with that. Well, at least the record is preserved in your case in a way that is beneficial. There yep. are countless people who don't have that. Like, that's why the, the, this whole weaponization of the Justice Department has been an issue that I have focused very extensively on because there are a lot of really good people out there that... Mm-hmm. You had friendly press. They don't. They have a press who is hell-bent on their destruction, no matter yeah. what they did or nothing. Right. They're hell-bent I, on their destruction. One search and you will find, like they tried to call you a conspiracy theorist, do a search on one, you know, one thing and you'll, that's their legacy. Yeah, I, it, it is. It is like, I, you know, I think all the time, it's funny, I was speaking with another journalist recently and she was asking me about January 6th and I, you know, I shared a view and I'll share it here because I think it's important to share it. I don't think that anybody who didn't enter the Capitol or who didn't understand what was happening, you know, it's like, I think it's like, you know, tossing the book at people and imprisoning them for years. Like, I don't see the point of it. Right. And I have a friend, Brandon Strzok, who did not enter the Capitol, who, you know, he was, his home was raided. He was cuffed. He was thrown in prison for three days. And he ended up pleading to a misdemeanor. And I understand why he pled, right? Because that's what I was, that's one of the people I was thinking when I was talking to him. He's a good friend of mine too. And like we, Brandon and I were friends like in our twenties in New York, just Mm -hmm. a random, so random. But anyway, um, but like on my TikTok, a lot of people who know me as a progressive are like, 
this is a no for me. I'm not following you ever again. And I'm like, it is amazing to me that you will stop being compassionate toward my family because I am questioning the Department of Justice's actions when they have contrary actions in other protests, right? Like, you know what I mean? It's like- No, there's it, there's this lack of logical, like it's so emotionalized. You're an attorney. Yeah. You have a different way of approaching things than most everyday people do. But I'll admit that for many, many years, I was reactive to what I was told to be reactive to too, Tracy. It took this to pull me out of that. Mm. You know, like yeah. it really did. Because it's like, I was like, well, no, no. You know, like obviously something terrible happened or obviously- but did, now you ever, I, did you ever say, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Did you ever say to yourself, what did my husband do? Could he have done something? Did that ever cross your mind even for a split second? No, it did not. It wouldn't so, have crossed mine yeah, either, I mean, just, but. Yeah, look at, no, it, it did not. And I also like, as a lawyer, like it, it the paper trail here is so extensive, mm-hmm. you know, that it's like, like just contract 101, what he did was okay. He didn't need to go to a lawyer. He didn't need to disclose it to Amazon. Like it was perfectly okay. And so, you know, I, like, no, I didn't. And, um, you know, it's, but a lot of people ask, I had a woman call me and tell me, you know, I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of woman, women in your arena. And we think that you should not be using your platform to defend your husband. And it's like, it's going to, she was like, it's going to hurt your career. And I was like, well, uh, here's my favorite. And I, I went a little, like, I went a little ballistic. And I was like, if you think I give a shit about my career over my family, like, I don't, you have no idea who I am. So like, we're done. Never spoken to her again. I've definitely like had to ice out a whole lot of people. So now oh, what, I got, now I got what email. are you doing? Oh, so I still have the Riveter. So online. So the Riveter is now a platform where we work with women to share their stories. I very much believe that like we have to be able to share our story, our expertise. Everyone has one. There's still like 85% of op-eds are still written by men. There are very few women out there with a voice like yours, like using their platform. And everybody needs to do it, whether it's going to like help you get a promotion or a new job or you want to start a company or you want to be in the media. Um, so I help women like what's your expert identify? What's your expertise? How do you talk about it on written social media? How do you talk about it on in video social media? How do you get speaking opportunities? You know, all of these things. And so I have the Riveter and then I'm starting a business with my daughters, which is really fun. It's called Cotton Candy and Dreams. And we're starting it in Columbus, Ohio, and we're creating curated family experiences. Because through this, one of the silver linings is that I have spent so much time with my family. In a way, like, I realized what I would have missed. Yeah, if, if you were working and, oh, gosh, like, yes. You no, know, it's a hard one to, to grapple with. But what I'm taking from it is my daughters are really interested in entrepreneurship. So we're starting this business, creating curated family experiences. And I believe we can license it or franchise it across the country. Because there's all these, like, clubs for grownups and these things. But, like, what about families that want to spend time together and do fun things? Right. That's fun. So, I like that. Yeah. And then I'm also just like fighting Amazon and fighting for justice. And I've been asked to testify before Congress. I, you know, I'm, I'm doing a bunch of different things and will continue to do that. That's a happy ending. <laughs> and it's not even over. Like, seriously, the a- way this just I've seen your your pain and your desperation and your triumph and all these emotions floating past me on social media and you know every once in a blue I'd reach out and be like hey keep your head up don't worry because you're you're a strong woman clearly everybody could see that so you know you don't want to you don't want too much baby 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 I'm sure you would repel that even if you no but you do like but you do need to know that like you're not screaming into the void yeah and I would like if anybody you're so kind about this and like I've been following Gus's journey because you're posting about it this little baby I'm just praying so hard but like you know, when people are going through hell, even if you don't know what to say, just say one thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just thinking about you. I see you. 
because we live in a grief illiterate society where we don't know how to talk about cancer or death or divorce or, or legal trauma. And like, you're a very brave and strong person. If you can just say like, I see you and I hear you because it's often a very lonely place to be in any of those positions. I, I, I just wanted to make sure like that you didn't drown because it is so easy. Not, not because there was anything happening to you other than yourself, like your own thoughts can cause you to drown. They can. Yeah. One of the things I did and, and along those lines, when talking about January 6th and other DOJ prosecutions, like Aaron Swartz, he was 23, 24 years old. He was one of the founders of Red, I forget, an internet company. And he's this brilliant guy. And he was prosecuted for downloading JSTOR articles illegally. And he wouldn't plead and they were going to put him in prison. And he, and he ended his life. Mm-hmm. A brilliant kid. And in January 6th, we know there are defendants who have ended their lives. They will. Yes. You, I can, all I can say, you know, I'm a first, I have children. I never could have done that, but you can, I see how people do it because it is a dark, dark Canyon. Yeah. And again, you know, you, I'm a firm believer in this. And sometimes like the people that watch the show get like weird at me for saying it, but you create your own reality. Mm. You know, you spent those mornings with your daughters creating a reality that was not the FBI storming your front door. And when you you kind of it's it's when you're in a situation like you were in, it's so easy to relive the past every day because you can't believe what the hell happened to you. And then you drown in the past instead of saying, "Okay, here I am today, feet firmly planted on the ground. I have control over this now moment right now. And I wanted to try and float you up to the top of that ocean. I didn't know. I, I mean, I didn't know how, but I just wanted to be like, it's all good. You're going to be okay. Like every once in a blue because you well, are. Important. It's so important. Like one of my best friends, um, she, she, she kept saying to me all the time, well, it's going to get better because it simply cannot get worse. <laughs> but it can always get worse. And I was like, I was like, oh, it can. And it keeps getting, but, but you know what? She was right. Like, And my husband would always say, like, as long as you're breathing, there's a chance. You guys, if you didn't love each other and if you didn't have such a strong family, probably, probably this wouldn't have turned out this way. Um, Yeah. You know, you spoke into the universe a few minutes ago, something. And I would say that every single morning you opened your eyes and he was laying there next to you and you guys were together and you went to the park. You're like, I still have my family. Like, he's still here. And so that's that's just amazing. And God bless you for everything you've been through, for what you will go through in the future, for fighting for those who don't have a megaphone, for creating your own, and for keeping this stuff going. And I hope that, you know, we can continue to chat throughout the process. We will. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you for amplifying the story. Thank you for caring. I do. And is there anywhere someone can find you if they're looking for you or what they can do to help or whatever? I, the best way to help is to, you know, if, if you're on Twitter or TikTok, to reshare our stories as I post them. I'm on, I'm at Amy underscore K underscore Nelson on both platforms. Awesome. Yeah, go there. Follow Amy's. If you like the legal stuff, you can definitely appreciate what she's tweeting. I love it. I eat it up. I'm like, ooh, like it's my thing. You guys, are, <laughs> I love it. So I, I retweet everything I can. But thank you so much for coming on and telling your story today. And I'm so glad we got a happy ending out of this instead of yeah. so awesome. God bless yeah. you guys. And um, share the show with your friends. Let everybody know what's going on and have everyone go follow Amy on socials. Love you, girl. Love you back. Thank you. Thank you.